What's up, Houston? So uh, I've gotten a chance to uh, hang out in Texas for about a week now. First time I've ever been here. And let me tell you something. Um, I'm a huge runner. It's hot. It's really, really hot. And I was telling Gabrielle this. I run. I'm a marathon runner. And in New York, it's 80 degrees today. I, you know, I know hot, but one day I came home from my run in Austin, and I felt I jumped into a pool. And I was like, well, that is great. But it's great that I'm able to share my story to the state of Texas, to the state of Houston. I've had an opportunity to speak in California twice this year. I've spoken at colleges, mainly on the East Coast. But the fact my story is traveling, it means a lot of good things are happening. It means I'm doing a good job of telling my story. It means a lot of people are believing it. Now, how I'm going to tell my story is kind of going to be, you know, going to go straight to the point. I'm going to tell you, you know, about a little bit of my injuries, a little bit of the hospital life. And I'm also going to tell you what happened, you know, exactly where it happened. So I was 21 years old when I got hurt. It was my third year in college. I was a transfer student. I transferred to a school in Pennsylvania known as East Stroudsburg University. I played lacrosse. In my second year, that was my first year transferring over there, I played lacrosse and met two guys named Joe and Nick. Those were my roommates. In the third year, my, would be my first year as a 21 year old, that is when I moved into an off-campus house at East Stroudsburg University. Now, we were all pumped about how great of a year it was going to be. And you know, it's kind of weird when I say that it was going to be a great year because little did we know how great it truly was going to be. And that was pretty cool. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, before, before that school year started, my, my grandmother, she was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer on my birthday. So you can believe that, um, that I had a lot of doubt with God for a little bit. I still was powerful in my faith, but I wasn't afraid to challenge Him. Every single night, my mic still working. Alright, cool. So every single night, every time I go to go to mass, I would just ask God, "Why are you taking my grandmother from me?" Well, I think I got His answer. On the night of August 26th, just about to start my school year, you know, we had a little get together. We had friends over. You know, teammates were over, and, you know, we were just hanging out, just talking about, you know, lacrosse season, what we're going to do, you know, just getting ready for a great year at school. At 12.30 that night, my parents got a phone call. Now, during that time period, that wasn't a very good time period for the Becker family. My uncle, his, his liver was failing, he was in the hospital. My grandmother, who I mentioned to you, who had stage 4 lung cancer, she too was in the hospital. So at that point in time, you had to say to yourself, what else could go wrong in my parents' life, in my parents' life, in my family's life? So when they had the phone call at 1230, the first two things that came to them was either my uncle called or my grandmother called. Little did I expect that the middle child of the family, Kevin Becker, had fallen off his roof 
He got a phone call from they got a phone call from my girlfriend at the time, and she told my parents that I was unconscious and that I was about to be traveled, picked up by the ambulance, and taken to my first hospital. At that point, you can only imagine what was going through my parents' head. What the heck happened to Kevin Becker? By the time they got, by around one o'clock, they got a phone call from the doctor who was treating me there. We were notified that I was stable, but I was in grave danger. We didn't know how grave my danger was, but what the doctor did tell them was, you should pack your bags and start heading to us. 30 minutes later, we were notified that I was being transferred to another hospital. My brain trauma was too serious, and I had to go to a much more advanced trauma center. From that point, the doctor told my parents, we're not sure if he's even going to make it to the hospital. So it was just an unbelievable amount of time to be told that he seriously hurt, and now we're being told that we're not even sure if Kevin Becker is going to be alive by the time he gets to the hospital. Step one, I made it there alive. But that was in the begin that was just the beginning. Just getting to the hospital was one step. Had a, had a couple procedures to go through. Had one that had a little tube stuck in the back of my head that could measure the brain pressure, you know, the pressure in my brain and also me measure the swelling in my brain. That was a very tough, tough surgery to pr perform. Luckily, when I did fall off this roof, I did fracture my skull in five places. So the, they were able to insert this tube into my skull because of the fractures. And that was a big step. But at that point, we still had no clue what was going to happen. And things were not bright. Day one went by, still stable. Day two, still stable. Day three, still stable. When you're in a coma, those are kind of good things, but you want improvement. Day four, still stable. Day five, not good. On day five, my parents were told by the doctors, you know, my brain was spiking too much, and that we might have to sedate Kevin into a much deeper coma. Now, if that had happened, this conversation would not be happening today. I can assure you of that. The chances of me just waking up were very small in the beginning of time, but if you put me into a second sedation, that's not, there's no chance of me waking up. Luckily, this hospital is one of the top trauma centers on the East Coast, and the nurses that worked with me, they knew what my condition was, and they told the doctors they wanted to try something differently. So they did. Now, the one thing that I have failed to mention is that my family is very, very religious. I carry my faith with me all the time. And George Osadi, he would eventually play, play in my recovery. On day three of my coma, my cousin, who lives out in Sacramento, now lives in D.C., she started a novena for George Osadi. Now, how she heard of George Versati is because of her son, my second cousin, has a severe case of autism. So that was what Giorgio was introduced to her. But when George, when she heard of my injuries and she knew what George Versati needed to become a saint, she said, this is 
possibly the perfect situation that George Versace could have. My cousin. So on day three, Naveen started. On day seven, a picture of George Versace was placed next to my hospital bed. This picture was mailed overnight from my cousin Beth in Sacramento. On day eight, I opened my eyes for the first time. Something the doctors had no clue or never thought was going to happen. On day nine, on day nine, when you're in a coma, in order for them to pronounce you awake from your coma, you have to give them some sort of physical notification that your brain is actually functioning. My parents told them, and I can guarantee you that my brain where it was, was, at, was still there, but I was definitely in agreement. I refused to put my thumbs up. And my dad even told me that at one point, when the doctor said, hey, Kevin, do you want to put your thumbs up? I shook my head. I said, no. <laughs> and my dad's like, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, he, he's there. <laughs> but they, they wouldn't go for it. So day nine, I finally decided to show my thumbs. And it was a pretty magical moment. Uh, Father Luke, you like this, my godfather's name is Luke. My communion middle name is Luke. So his son came into my room, my dad, and you know, he said hello to me. Obviously, I'm, at that point, I'm so, so waking up. And my dad goes to me, hey, Kevin, do you have anything to to say to James, or do you have anything to show him? I gave my cousin a thumbs up. And from that moment on, the unbelievable began for the family and all my friends. Now the hospital itself was like a party house. Um, my dad's one of 12, so I have over, you know, 40 cousins, you know, we're talking 22 aunts and uncles. So you, you can only imagine what the hospital life was like. There's over 40 people in that hospital every single day. Uh, teammates, friends, it was quite a, it was quite an experience for my family, and I guess it was quite an experience for them to realize what type of child they gave birth to. But the battle had just begun. I was awake. We were told that I was going to be in inpatient therapy for three months. We were being told that I was to be mentally disabled, physically disabled. Which at day 10, you know, as soon as you know, the, you know, day nine, really, you know, that's the beginning. We're told that I'm going to have many, many mental disabilities. On day 10, my parents, they're walking, walking in about like 8.30 in the morning, and they felt different. There was something different about that day. If I'm correct about the story, my dad, who never sings or ever hums, was singing in the shower this day. He was singing like one of my mom's favorite songs. As I walked into the hospital, the nurse notified the, my parents that I had the respirator taken out. I had a lot of, you know, IVs taken out, this taken out, and then I asked for my parents. On day 10, I began to try and speak, but I asked for my parents. Now you can only imagine, we were told mental disabilities, physical disabilities, and on day 10, I'm already asking to speak to my parents. And then the amazement to the hospital and everybody around me just continued on. On day 12, I asked one of the nurses if I could stand up. 
this hospital, they uh, work pretty aggressively. And when they heard me ask to stand up, they let me stand up. On day 12, that was the ninth day of the novena. On day 12, I stood up for the first time. That was my cousin ended the novena on day 9. On day 13, I was, I was transferred out of the ICU to the trans, transition ICU. I was the youngest person in that place, and I can tell you I have so many memories and stories that I can share with you guys at another time, but it was a big step. But I was also walking at that point too. We were told to walk, and I was walking. Unfortunately, I was so sick, I wasn't, you know, they were ready to get me out into inpatient therapy, but, but unfortunately I was, or fortunately, I was so sick that I had to stay a couple days in the hospital. By doing so, it let me heal more. Not alone, not only did I, you know, fracture my skull in five places, not only did I injure, severely injure every single lobe in my brain, I also had pneumonia, had a high fever, had a sinus infection. We were all, I was also just recently told that one of my main arteries was severely pinched. So I was not really winning for a good amount of time. I was really not winning. But I was healing. And my parents believed, and a lot of family members believed, a lot of, you know, interesting tribes believed. I had a tribe in Africa praying for me. A lot of people believed. So I got a couple more days to heal. On day 17, you know, the weekend happened, couldn't do anything. On day 17, you know, like we were told to walk and we were just walking around the hospital. And the physical therapist, you know, Beth, when the, oddly enough, when the nurse's name was Beth too, physical therapist, she goes, Kevin, this is unbelievable. Um, can we, you know, we had to do this test. So I had to do this, this test, you know, physical ability, you know, I had to do like an obstacle course. The one, the one thing about this obstacle course though, was not only did it combine physical skills, but it also combined memory. So she had to go through the course for me, and I had to somehow remember it. We're, we're only talking, I'm less than 10 days out of a, a serious head injury. You're expecting me to remember this? Well, somehow I did, and I passed that test. By this point, I was already showering and brushing my teeth, and I was kind of aggravated this day. I don't get aggravated very often, but it's, I had to take another test called an occupational test. That's to take, you know, brush teeth, shower. I had already done that before this doctor came in to tell me how to take this test. And I said, why do I have to do this? And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, I literally just did exactly what you told me to do. And he goes, well, we need you to do this in order to compare, see if, you know, we, you need inpatient therapy or you need outpatient therapy. Was unhappy about it. So I told him, is it okay if I just put my head under the water? And he goes, I'll pass. So I passed that test, two out of three. The only test I did not pass was the cognitive test, which was expected. So on day 17, my parents and myself, we were told that I was going to be leaving the hospital the following day. In 18 days, I was going to be walking out of the hospital. But what's really wild is on day 18 is the first time I made any mention about this special spirit with me while I was in my coma. I can almost remember right now when I was seeing my mom, you know, we're watching ESPN, huge sports guy, watching ESPN, I go to my mom, you know, there's a spirit with me. 
there's an angel, and he protected me. And she goes, this, this unbelievable, you know, she's, she was pretty taken back. You know, her son, the 21-year-old guy is about to leave the hospital when they were told that was either A, not going to make it, be in therapy for months on, on months, or just never be the same person. And she was like, all right, you know, we'll talk about this at another time. So, we pack, you know, we pack our bags. I walked out of the hospital that day. I wanted to walk out of the hospital from the bedroom, but apparently it's a, insurance-wise, not a good idea. So I had to ride on the nice little wheelchair for a couple floors. But once we got to the bottom floor, I made sure I picked up my bags and I walked out of the hospital. Then, by the time we got to the hotel that we were staying at, you know, my brother had already, older brother had already packed up the car. Everything was ready to go. We had to do a couple things. There's footage on our YouTube video of my older brother and I, we were having a football catch. So on day 18, walking out of the hospital, throwing a football, two things not too smart, but that just showed a lot of, you know, my parents just realized that there was something special. That something that we were seeing was abnormal, but we didn't know what was actually going on, even though I did tell my parents that I saw, you know, an angel with me. So the following day we get home, and we were told, you know, by the doctors until we got, you know, into a new inpatient for cognitive, but we were told for the time being, you know, to go for walks and all, and everything like this. So we had, believe it or not, during that time period, we also had a little puppy, her name was Maggie Becker, so we did take her for a lot of walks. But on this day, right, like the first thing we did in the morning, we went, we took, you know, we took little Maggie Becker for a walk, and we walked around their block. On this day, this is day 19, this walk, a little walk, if I ran it, would take me like a minute, if that probably took us an hour and 30 minutes. This is when I started telling my mom about the spirit with me. I started telling her about my first moment with him. So when I was in my comatose state, I was with George Rosati. And I'll exactly tell you how I met him right now. So when I was in the comatose state, it was like I was in my own college house. Bedroom, everything looked the same. TV, closet, futon, Xbox 360, and that's all I needed in life. <laughs> but on this odd, you know, dream world, I'm trying to figure out, I'm, I'm an early waker. I wake up very early, that's when I run, is early in the morning. When I work out, early in the morning. And also I'm just a terrible sleeper. I heard noises. So I heard noises while I was in my comatose state. And while, you know, when you're in a dream world, you're saying to yourself, what, what the heck is this? You know, because it was pretty, pretty real at the same time. And I told my mom that, and she's actually starting to laugh a little bit because she's singing the same thing. And I tell her, and she goes, what was going through your head? And I go, well, there's three things going through my head. A, it was one of my friends. B, um, that was my first college house was not in the safest of places. So a burglar is a possibility. So, of course, defense, in my mind, I'm going downstairs to figure out who this person could be because you know, I felt physical at that time, 6'2", if the guy's smaller than me, I have a fighter's chance. The third thing I saw maybe was the vermin, which if that happens in the college house, that's stereotypical. But anyways, I walked down the stairs, everything looked the same. 
I see this young, this young gentleman. I look at him, you know, probably around five eight, five nine, ten, physically built. You see the pictures of George Rosati. You all know it says physically built. And you know the only thing I can say to him is, like, "Excuse me, but who are you?" Right? I mean, that's like the, the, the simple question. And he goes, "Well, I'm your new your new roommate." Roommate, sorry. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. You know, time out. I already have two roommates. I already have two. And he simply goes, they are not with you at this moment. They're not with you. So, of course, this is like as calm as I can be. I just go, all right, well, if I'm not with them, who are you? Right? And he simply goes, my name is Giorgio. And I'm like, all right, you know, Giorgio, my name is Kevin. Nice to meet you. And that was like our first conversation, and one of the few conversations we ever had. Giorgio and I, our relationship was a workman's-like relationship. Um, while, we were, while I lived with him, we did, you know, he we did a lot of housework. You know, we were building the perfect room. I did a lot of schoolwork. Don't know why I did a lot of schoolwork, but for some other reason I was doing schoolwork for the first time in my life. <laughs> and I was also, you know, I was also I got the, the grace of God to play FIFA in my coma, which is unbelievable. <laughs> and my mom was like beyond herself. So we finished, you know, we finished off the walk. At this point, I did not tell her about Giorgio just yet. But you can only imagine when I did eventually put the two to the two together. So we finish off the walk. Get home, Damien, my older brother. I have an older brother and a younger brother. Um, my youngest brother was actually just entering his freshman year in high school. So you can only imagine what he was going through emotionally as a little kid like that. Grandma, uncle, and older brother all in very bad shape. Hanging out. And my mom goes, you know, I'm telling them my old story, telling my older brother's story. She goes, if I show you this picture of George Rosati, will you be, you know, be able to identify him? And I go, of course. Let's, let's show, let's show the picture. Let's get the picture down here. Now, this part of the story, I have to PG it for you guys, but there is a, an R-rated of what I do say. But I see the picture, my mom shows me the picture, and I go, that's the son of a gun. That's the son of a gun. And she was, it was unbelievable. Un- unbelievable to them, because that's the moment where we realized that we had something special. And my mom, the night before, prayed to God, saying that if Georgia Rosati was the one who visited my son, make it known through him. And that is when we notified Rosati USA about my story. But that wasn't the easy part. It was not easy with that. I still had a lot of work to do. Um, I had to... I still had to go to therapy and still had to see a lot of injured people were still hurt. But at the same time, you know, I had to be a workman. So in November, in uh, October, about a month after my injury, I had to take a test which measured my brain injury and my brain to like now, how I was performing comparing the trust. We were told that this test usually lasts four hours. It's a cognitive test. 
And, you know, when we gave us a test, we told her about our injuries. She really couldn't believe us just because I was just performing at a higher level than anybody they've ever seen, within, if, even if that injury was quote-unquote real. But lo and behold, didn't matter. Um, I finished off this test in two hours. A month later, on November 11th of 2011, 11, 11, 11, pretty weird, but we got, we got some of the greatest news that anybody could ask for. We go into this room, Dr. Nicoletti, great lady, we, we can't, she's hard to find a maid, believe it or not. Gabrielle, Dr. Nicoletti, she's like one of the key points to my story. Hard to find the Kevin Becker, which is amazing. Um, she came up to us, and she asked me, Kevin, how'd you do? How do you feel you did on your test? And I said, no, I did okay. I did all right. And then she looked at my mom. She told my mom, I'm, she apologized to us. She did not realize how badly I was hurt. She did not realize that my brain was that badly hurt. She did not believe that my skull was fractured. She also couldn't believe to tell us that my brain had shifted a centimeter, which is apparently a pretty big deal. Um, usually when that happens, that's end game. Then she looked back at me, and she goes, so Kevin, how do you really feel like you did? And I said, I did. I don't know. I did okay. And she goes, you didn't just do okay, Kevin. You did amazing. On that day, I was announced I was fully recovered from my head injury. So I had to go back for a couple more months of brain therapy, but I was officially back. I went back to school in the spring. I played lacrosse that spring. I graduated. Now, six years later, I'm back in Houston. I'm, I'm in Houston now giving a, a testimony about a story that I never imagined would ever get this big. And I want to leave you guys with something because I think it's really big. I, I know there's a bunch of questions that we're gonna, I can answer, so I have some good one thing that I want to say to all of you. If God, if God can do this for me, imagine what he can do for you if you let him in. Thank you.